Hello and welcome to Talks with the Feminine. I'm Annie Taylor and welcome back for 2022 to the podcast. Thanks for coming back to listen. Um, so today on the podcast, I am joined by Cindy Fenn, um, who is um, a childbirth educator based in Melbourne. She also has training in embodied leadership and in postpartum doula uh, work. And uh, she, her background is in early childhood education, although she's branched off from that and is now training to become a doula with Rhea Dempsey. And she's also previously taught hypnobirthing as well. And the other thing about Cindy is that she's um, a very proud home birthing powerhouse mama. And um, today on the podcast, she shares a little bit about her experiences of birth uh, once in the UK and then another uh, couple of times over here in Australia after she and her partner returned home. And she has some really interesting insight to share about her own births and how that came to inspire her work with women and with birthing people and um, with supporting uh, supporting many families through that transition as well. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Cindy. Welcome. Hi, Annie. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad we're we're sitting down. It's happening. I haven't it's recorded happening. anything with someone in so long. It's so nice. Um, yeah. So thanks for coming it's on. Nice chat. Yeah. So um, how's 2021 been for you? <laughs> that's an interesting question to ask straight off the bat. Yeah, I Look, feel 20... like that's where we start. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's start at 2021. Mm. Well, 2021 was, um, oh, look, it's been really great and it's been a lot of learning and it's been heaps of kind of being adaptable. And um, But on the whole, I think we've had a pretty good 2021. I've, I think I've been on a, a really amazing learning journey. Um so yeah, I think on on the whole, twenty twenty one has treated us quite quite well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's not something you hear all the time. So yeah, yeah, it was a bit rubbish in places. I'm not glossing over the fact that you know we're here in Melbourne and you know we were in serious lockdown and remote learning and you know border controls and all those kind of things. But yeah, generally speaking, we we weathered it relatively well. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That sounds like you've had some sort of positive experience come out of it. So, or maybe you've just got a really positive attitude. I don't know. What are the other? Maybe I haven't processed it yet. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> so look, I'm going to dive right into talking about you and your life and your story. Um, so I guess we'll just start back from when you were little can you tell me a bit about your family when you were growing up yeah wow that is going back wasn't expecting that starting um, at the start <laughs> yeah at the start well I'm actually not from Melbourne so I'm from Adelaide so I was born um in the Lyle McEwen hospital which is in Elizabeth in South South Australia are you an Adelaide person Annie 
Adelaide? No, Horsham. So I was right. You're Horsham, there. okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I was born in 1977 and I was born to... Um, my mother and father, and they've been together 45 years. And 18 months after I was born, I had a brother wow. come into the world. Yeah, so I have one, uh, one, one brother. And I grew up in Hill, Hillbank, which is about north of Australia, and I um, basically had a great childhood too. I, I really can't, it was a pretty normal kind of experience and um, went to kindergarten, which I am assured I loved. Apparently I was I was the child that wanted the one last painting from, from mum, but apart from once, once mum left, apparently I was fine. Um, interestingly, my, my now four-year-old is, or my final child is actually replicating that exact same behaviour that I do. And I think there's this one last chance for me to resolve whatever happened during that four-year-old experience. Um, but generally I've had a pretty good, um, I went to a public school, um, for like primary school and then continued that as well. And how young do you want me to go? I mean, can I, I, I get yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my mum always said I was a pretty easy, easy child, and my temperament was quite easy, and I was very chatty from the very onset. And apparently, I was very chatty, but I wasn't understood very early. Where my brother was apparently, he took a little bit longer to come into speech, but apparently he was clearer. So apparently I babbled the whole time. And yeah, I can't really remember much else. Do you, yeah. Is there anywhere else you'd love yeah, me to go? Well, you found, you said you went to a public school. How, how was that experience? Did you find schooling like as a child, but even into your adolescence, was it an easy experience? Did you, what did you feel yeah. about um education as a process for you yes education as a process well I became a teacher which yeah. is always an interesting thing mm. I had oh, look probably I think my school experience was really good I had some beautiful teachers I remember year two having Miss Aubrey and I just thought she was amazing and I remember writing stories and um, it was the time when we used to just write phonetically and there was no kind of write, um, correcting anything. So there was a lot of language-based um, learning happening at the time. And I remember really loving year two and writing these beautiful books. And I can even still feel myself drawing the pictures because you always had to draw a picture. And I think my mum still has some of those uh, books, but I always enjoyed writing. Um, oh, what else did I really enjoy doing? On the whole, it was really good. I played a lot of sport as well. I played netball and my mum was the coach of my netball team and then I went into high school. I had a really good um, high school experience mm. up until about year 10. And then I kind of had a few, um, had a, had, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I 
think everybody has a few of those years. But, um, yeah, I had a pretty sort of significant friendship that kind of fell away, which I also think is a really common experience. But it did really affect a couple of years over high school. Um, and yet sort of came out of that experience and then also met some uh, some new friends, I guess, and came into year 11 and year 12 enjoying and, and having a really good experience. And some of those people I still catch up with today, which is really good. I think school offered me a lot of opportunities to do things I really enjoyed. In fact, I was talking with my family just recently and I always enjoyed sport and I enjoyed playing hockey. And um, I remember doing athletics, which was something I enjoyed doing and running. Um, so that was really good. And then, yeah, and then I went into teaching. So yeah, I, think... I was going to ask what happened after high school. Did you go straight to a course or how did you get into the idea of, of being in early childhood education? And I know. Well, yeah. it's interesting. So we touched on school a bit. So when I was in year six, so I kind of had a spout of separation anxiety with my mum and I was a school refuser actually so the truth is starting to come out yeah so I, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think in year five I um decided one day that I wasn't I didn't want to go to school for a long time I didn't know why that was the case I just knew I didn't want to go to school and once I was at school I was okay and so it was really that sort of separation if I can think about that experience now, coming back to it, I think there was probably early signs of probably maybe being neurodiverse now that maybe didn't get picked up then. And so I think friendships for me at that time weren't, I just can't remember them. So I, I wonder whether or not there was just something that I didn't like, maybe I couldn't quite articulate it. So I saw a psychologist for quite a bit of time to try and work out what it was that I didn't like going to school for. And at the time, was it? Was that you went? And that was about that? year five, yeah. early years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and then and and so I'm coming to your question. Um, so I had that period of time, and then this um, girl, this girl came in year six called Jackie, and she came from the Northern Ter Territory, and we really just hit it off. And it feels like at that point in time, I everything kind of got a little bit better, but something changed within me, and I was then able to go to school. Actually. Um, the psychologist actually said, Annie, that I was a very clever child that was manipulating my parents, which is sort of an interesting thing that I've taken into, that I actually was just really uh, clever. But my dad had to take me um, to school for like a, a little while because they thought that it was my mum, that it was the relationship between my mum and I. It's always the mums, apparently, Annie, that... Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right because, yeah. well that's probably a whole other podcast but because yeah. my dad had to take me to school and I was going to school a lot better but because he had to take a little bit of time um off of work in order for that to happen I had to miss out on neighbors watching neighbors for every day and that was a pretty high motivation for me and apparently it was a week and a half and I was all 
better and going going back to our school. So that psychology little time in my life actually um, I think was quite significant because move forward a little bit of time. When I was going through school, I thought I would become a psychologist and I just sort of thought that would be something I would love to do. And then I worked out that I would have to do six years at uni and I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do that at all. So then it was a choice between um, being a teacher and also I toyed with the idea of being a nurse as well. So I think the way I did it, I put early childhood as my first choice. I then put nursing as my second choice and then three junior primary primary subjects as my next three choices. And I got my first choice. So I went into early childhood and I think the early childhood was amazing. I'm really glad I went into that because I kind of did a bit of work experience in childcare centres and in schools and those sorts of things. So I really liked the idea of early years education. I think there was something probably a little bit soul calling there that was probably, I was always meant to be in those early years. Um, so yeah, I kind of didn't do the psychology bit, but I also feel like in the teaching world, as you know, you are kind of honing those skills. And um, I also feel like in my work now, um, sometimes I feel a little bit like I am channeling that even though I don't have formal, um, formal training in it. So I think sometimes, um, and that's not to take away from the fact that, you know, psychologists are learning for six years prior to going in and experiencing that. But I also feel like it was probably something that I had a really keen interest in from a, from a very early age. Yeah. Do you feel like um, you drew sort of your, from your own positive experiences of childhood? Did that motivate you to work in early childhood in some way? I think, well, I think it was the positive experiences. I don't think it was the positive experiences actually, because when I look at the first, particularly the first five years, so I went into a, um, well, I taught in a um, primary school up in North, um, sorry, a kindergarten school up in the Northern Territory in a town called Borolula, which is on the Gulf of Car Carpentaria. So I went straight out of um, uni and then went into the Northern Territory um, education department, working with four four-year-olds there. That was a really amazing experience. And then came back, taught in rural schools in South Australia. And all my experiences, I think I was working with parents actually. And I always had the child that took a little while to separate or always had the children in my class that took a little bit longer to separate from their parents and stuff. So I think that was probably the bit that I was probably resolving within myself. Like I did have a good primary school experience but when I think about it I think and I think they say that about psychology psychologists and teachers as well but we tend to go into the profession with something that has this really sort of something that's really close to our hearts and so I think for me it was working with those kids and making sure that they felt really good and I um 
you know, and they had really safe experience to come into. And I think at the same time too, I was also working with the parents as well, because often these parents are, um, you know, I didn't have my children at the time, but I guess maybe through the fact that I had had this experience from a child's perspective that I was in some ways able to see a little bit further than them as well, maybe. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it was the positive experiences. I think it was actually some of the probably the challenging experiences that probably drew me into education. And in saying that, I think I've always been, um, had a high value for education and learning and lifelong learning and experience. So I think it made sense that I would be a teacher because yeah. you get to tick off, get to tick off a lot of those boxes. So you said you worked, you worked in the Northern Territory and then you went back to South Australia and then where did you go and what did you do and how did you get to be over Victoria way as well? Well, there's a little bit of that. So um, well, a little bit more to my story. So I taught in rural South Australia and then got permanency back in Adelaide and taught there for, I think about, got my long service. And then my now husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time, and I decided to go over to the UK. So in 2008, I went over to the UK and taught in London. And we had four years over there. And it was over that time that I... Um, I had my first baby and then we decided we were going to make our way back to Australia, be closer to grandparents, have that lived experience. And Sam's job brought, because I was still on maternity leave, Sam's job brought him back to Melbourne. And so he had this sort of global role. And so we both came back here and now Melbourne's home. And so the plan was that I was always meant to, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was always meant to come back um, to teaching and I fell pregnant probably nine months it was nine months after I had my first baby so I continued on leave and that kind of led me to the next part of my life actually because I never went back to teaching after that so I basically have this moment in time because I, um, I was teaching, I never went on maternity leave formally. So I was teaching um, and my waters released and I had my first baby um, on the last day that I ever taught um, that, that I knew. Not that I knew at the time that that was gonna be, but yeah, so I, I had, I was, when I fell pregnant, I had planned to finish work at 37 weeks and I had done all the preparation, all the planning, and I was going to have my school holidays, and then I was going to go on to maternity leave, and my baby had different plans, and he came into the world at 36 weeks on the night that we had parent-teacher interviews, Annie. Oh. So, um, yeah, so on my third parent-teacher interview, um, my waters really released, and um, I had one of the parents, the next parent who came in took me to the hospital, and, um, and, and I had my uh, baby. So I had this kind of a little bit, it's not sliding doors. I was trying to think about it the other day. It's not really a sliding doors moment, but it was like my two worlds for a moment just collided a little bit, but um, I wasn't yet in the birthing world. 
And yet I wasn't out of teaching either. And yet they both diverged on this same day. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so going back, like rewinding a little bit. So um, you met your partner while you were working here or? In Adelaide. In Adelaide. Yep. So my yeah. partner and I are both Adelaide people. We, we met on a blind date, actually. Oh in 2005 so we'd been together for a little bit of time and before we moved over to the UK but yeah we met on a blind day and I guess the wonderful world of teaching so I was working with an amazing teacher um, at um, Paralawi and he his best mate was the daughter of that teacher and they both randomly I was at a Christmas party one day of this teacher I was invited to come to their Christmas lights um, party that they had not that I knew it at the time but or I knew that this teacher I hope I'm explaining this uh, right but the teacher friend of mine who I worked with she had a, a new partner a significant new partner and both their children who were adults were meeting for the first time and they were having this um, you know tree decorating turn the lights on and I was invited which was amazing and beautiful and I met the daughter of this teacher friend and her then boyfriend who happened to be the best friend of the man that I had never met yet and they said that I think my friend would love to meet you and that was basically it I said well if you think that's maybe we could set that up and that's basically how we met so I got a phone call from him in the new year and we met in the March because we were kind of busy and times didn't collide and then we met randomly um in the march so that was kind of how i met him and i was 27 at the time and met him at a pub in adelaide um which just recently we went back and there's this where we actually met just to the left of that there's this electrical box and so we've got a little um like quite big but it's like what you put on a trophy and we've written that you know Sam and Cindy met on a blind date in 2005 here oh. and we've just placed it on there and um kind of trying to make ourselves famous in our own little birth birth town there yeah but, I'm um, gonna look for it next time there yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah. I'm gonna look for it next time I'm there I'm gonna yeah, find make a part sure of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to look for it, though, Eddie. It's not like it stands it's out. Or like, yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, still be yeah. impressed, I think. Um, so what? So you you moved to the UK. That was primarily for his work, or was were you no, on an adventure? No, it wasn't. So when I met him, we were both twenty seven. I always had it in my mind that I wanted to go over to the UK. Well, I wanted to go to Paris, actually, was the reason why I wanted to go overseas. So the only kind of overseas travel that I had done at that point in time was I'd been to Bali and I went to Burma as a part of the teaching or uh, Myanmar, I guess, as it's called now, um, as a part of a teaching um, program. So I wanted to do that before I had children. Sam had already done that, but it just kind of evolved and he's, and then one thing led to another and he was coming too. And so we both went over there. I, as I said before, I took long service leave. We went to Africa 
did this trip, um, came back to Adelaide because my husband was best man at in his best friend's wedding, and then we went back to the UK. And the plan was always for us both to work and, and teach and to have this experience um, before we had children. Yeah. And then so you... And everyone else was getting married. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else was getting married, Annie, and we weren't ready to do that yet. So we headed overseas. Yeah. You fled. <laughs> we fled. Yeah. Just um, for a So, yeah, so you... Um, you know, you've you've spoken a bit about your first. I mean, I think I'm going to crack into birth stories in a minute. But um, you, you do you feel like you kind of consciously decided to have the first Baba, or how how did he come to be? Was how he, did he come? Yeah, how did he come into the world? He, when I think about conscious conceptions now and I hear stories talking about that I don't think I was as conscious um, as possibly if I was me now it would be a whole different ball game but Sam and I absolutely knew that we wanted to be in each other's worlds and I think if the truth be known I was probably a little bit further along in probably wanting to have that baby um, so I was 33, I think, when we felt when we felt pregnant. Um, so he absolutely was consciously thought about, and then he he just took the opportunity really, and things quite. And the next thing, we were pregnant, and I don't think we mentioned it much to anyone, family or. So it was a little bit of a surprise for people when when we said that we were having um, a baby and particularly being over, overseas as well. Um, I had been feeling homesick actually. Um, and so I went back, um, but I went back by myself because Sam was working. And there was this moment where um, I was having lunch and I didn't want to have the second glass of Riesling. And I was like, that's really odd. Like, cause usually I would be, um well into that second glass of Riesling and I wasn't and something in me just said I think you need to do a pregnancy test and so it was the 29th of April so it was the day that um Kate and William got married and I just remember being in my sister-in-law's house and um looking at this um pregnancy test that I think I brought over. So because it was a, a UK one and it basically said I was about four and a half weeks pregnant. So it was super sort of sensitive. But yeah, I ended up telling Sam um, over the phone. And then I said to him, I said, my mum and dad are going to not like it at all if I know and I come all the way over back to the UK and don't like to tell them. So I ended up telling them there. Um, so a few people knew, but I went back, yeah, to the UK pregnant and that was it. My mum put a little pink um, ribbon on my, um, on my bag because she thought that I was having a boy, with, uh, having a girl, which ended up not being quite correct, but there's all these <laughs> little funny moments and, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Gee, so mm. then, um, I mean, now you, you work in the world of, of birth pretty well mm. that's your main um I guess jam now um so I mean 
I feel like from what I have uh, heard, read, gathered about you, you had um, some fairly positive experiences of birth yourself. So you said your first boy very cheekily came (laughs) 36 weeks and... um, and you went to a hospital. So take us from there. What what happened? You, you got dropped off at the hospital by a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I got dropped off by a parent. So this parent was actually a friend of mine as well. And, and I kind of, um, yeah, so on that day, um, because I was team teaching at the time, so I had a day off on the Wednesday. And I arrived at school and I'm super prepared as I normally am. And um, But because I was team teaching, I didn't start roll call. And at that point in time, I was like, I felt like I'd wet myself. But I went to the toilets and I had it. But I, I think it was my mucus blood that had started to go. Um, but because I was 36 weeks, my educator, my assistant, um, said, why don't you call the hospital? Like, that sounds like maybe something, and I wasn't sure, so I did. They said, come into the hospital. So I did that, and they said, look, you're probably not going to make your due date, which was 1st of Jan, and it might be two days, it might be two weeks, but basically, you know, things are... They didn't really tell me they'd started, but they kind of said things looked like they might have. Something was, like, definitely there. So I called my um, called Sam. I said to him, "Look, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to um, get everything organised. Um, I've got my parent teacher interviews tonight. I've got my day off tomorrow. I'm just going to see how I feel because we've done like hypnobirthing, and you know we felt we were quite prepared. And um, there's no way in the world that I was going to." go home then on that day and start my hypnobirthing and do all that kind of like could you imagine it you've got parent teacher interviews and then nothing (laughs) happens so and you'd go back to and you'd have to re-like schedule so I went back and I basically worked worked really hard the whole day and I started to have a few surges I remember really feeling and talking with the girls at work that my tummy was rising and tightening up and I worked on the fifth floor of a inner city right yep. so I was going up and downstairs which you know we know Help. all that stuff bringing on labor yeah because I was changing readers over I was basically getting myself ready and I think that was my nesting you know I wasn't at home and I was nesting um in the classroom um so, yeah, so basically I got through the school day. Everything was fine, and but I was starting to really surge and I um, got to my first interview and it was a woman. And I think about this all the time, actually, because she was also the woman that said to me that, um, that teaching is a really, like, the kid, because I was teaching a, a reception year one class, that they're so close and you're so invested and they're all, you know, they're quite, you are leading them throughout the day. And she said there's going to be this moment in time where you have to let that go. Um, it makes me feel that I just, I just remember this conversation and feeling like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. 37 weeks I'm stopping and I am fully invested in birthing this baby. That woman was my first birth was my first 
interviewing and she walked in and she said, you look like you're about to go into labour. And I kind of laughed. I'm like, why do you say that? Because I hadn't let on to anyone that, that, you know, these things had, like, happened. And she goes, oh, because your jaw's dropped a little bit. Like, you're looking really relaxed here. So the relaxant had obviously happened and the oxytocin was already starting to infuse in my body. And she had birthed before, I think about three times as well. Mm. And she clocked it before I'd even clocked it. But I said, come on in. So I did have that second one. And I noticed that my tummy was really starting to surge a little bit more frequently, but I wasn't timing or anything like that. And then the third interview, I remember one surge and I just gripped the table. And as I mentioned before, I was team teaching, so I excused myself. And with that, I just felt this trickle of my water releasing. So at that point in time, I did what any good teacher does and I went down the five flights of stairs and brought in the parents that were for the next one who happened to be my friends. And I said, I think my water's just released. And she said, do you want me to take you to the hospital? I said, I'll come up, I'll do Calder's interview and then and then I think I'll go. So I was connected with my baby and full on in my neocortex. Like, you know, like I was just in my um, thinking brain. I hadn't dropped into that body stuff. I was still being the teacher. Mm. And um, so we walked up the five flight of stairs and um, I think I got halfway through that interview and she said, I'm really happy with Calder's progress, but I think I want to take you to the hospital. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So... um, So I did what I thought was an amazing job of cleaning up my desk and picking up all that sort of stuff, Um, which apparently, as my friend said the following day, I hadn't done a great job at all. She said it was the only time that she's walked in. And so I was kind of, I think at that point in time, knowing what I do about birth, I'd started to drop a little bit from the neocortex because I was just, that whole time is a little bit blurry. And my friend or my the, the parent that was taking me in um, by car, she said, had I cooked Sam, which I hadn't. It just so happened he was at work drinks that night, um, but he had, it was still early, so it was about half past six in the evening, um, December the 6th it was. And so I rung him and then she said, oh, have you been timing how long these surges have been? And I said, no, I haven't. So over that time that took me to get to um, the hospital, I was about five five minutes apart. So they were quite close and stuff. And they put me into assessment. I met my husband down the bottom of uh, the hospital um, and we went up together. I didn't have my hospital bag. I didn't have my hospital records, none of that. And I know he meant to have them at 36 weeks, but I didn't because I was thinking about these bloody parent-teacher interviews that I was doing and it was Christmas and I was getting ready. So I wasn't as prepared there. Um, But basically they assessed me and they said, oh, yes, you're definitely going up to um, birth suite, which was a bit of a shock actually. As much as I was, I was not really expecting, like I still hadn't clocked that I was really birthing the baby now. It was really, um, and yeah, and everything was happening really fast. And um, yeah, so we got into the room and I remember my uh, Sam, I keep saying my husband, but he wasn't my husband at the time. 
But he went back in a black cab to get out my bag and to get the record and all that sort of stuff. I had a beautiful midwife called Flora and she said to me that she was just beginning her shift, which was great. And she read my birth nut sheet. No, she hadn't read it because we didn't have it then. Um, but she said, oh, it's really quiet tonight and, you know, let's have this baby. And I was, I was still going, this isn't meant to be happening now. Like, and I remember asking her this question, like, is, it, is there a thunder, is there thunder or lightning? Because a friend of mine had previously birthed prior to her term and apparently the midwives there had told her that apparently the storm and the energy of the storms can sometimes bring on labour. So I was trying to work out why I was there at 36 weeks, Annie. Um, and she said to me, um, yeah, and then Sam came back eventually and so she had a look at this, um, yeah, she had a look and she uh, read my birth plan. We'd been hypnobirthing. She said, look, I don't know a lot about hypnobirthing, but I've heard there's certain words and she goes, I'll just use the word sir. She was really, really lo lovely. But I had really, um, I still wasn't quite connected with the idea that I was birthing and, and I wanted to birth in water. And I wanted, um, yeah, so the water was the big, big one for me. And that was ruled out because I was 36 weeks. And I was like, it's not meant to be happening now. And she goes, look, I know that this isn't the way that you planned it, but let's, and you wanted to birth in water, but let's darken the room and um, we'll get you on a ball and we'll um, we'll see how, how you go. Um yeah, and anyway, so my birthing experience was, yeah, was really, really quick. So things just continued to progress really, um, really quickly. And um, the surges just started to come. They were really strong. And, yeah, I remember that moment where I looked in the mirror and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've got another 12 hours. I'm going the night like I am. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. And I that was my negative then. That was my spiral where I started to really panic. And um, I said this to my midwife and straight off the bat, she said to me whether I want to do, I want to have the like epidural. And I think I'd started to be a bit in my age regression. You know how they say in birth, how yes. you go back. And I think I was the antsy teenager. And I was like, I didn't say I wanted the epidural. I said, I just tired and I can't do this anymore. Um, and then I went off to the um, toilet and she kept reminding me that don't push, don't push. And I'm like, I'm not pushing. Um, actually what I was trying to do I was really constipated and um, probably from not looking after myself as a teacher actually and probably not drinking enough water but that was primarily on my mind was how am I meant to birth this baby and I've just got this poo that I can't move and shift so that was that was kind of in, on my mind as well as I'm um, as I'm birthing as I'm laboring um, so I come back, she's very clear that I don't want the epidural and I just said, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. Um, 
And she said, why don't you have a little bit of gas and air? And she got me on the um, on the bed. Not she got me. She just put me on the bed and I had um, a, a sniff of this gas. And the gas was amazing. It just got my breath back because I'd really started to um, panic a little bit. I think I'm what Rhea Dempsey would call um, aspira aspirationally naive. I, I wasn't expecting the intensity to be like it was. Mm. The pain of it hit me for an absolute six and I was just tired. Yeah. <laughs> but that gas in there. Yeah. Yesterday was amazing. Mm. It got me just to breathe. And I birthed my baby about an hour and a half later. So um, super quick. He came at 11.51 that, that day. So basically I came in about 6.30. So about six hours, less than six hours really. So I did most of my labouring, I think, at work. And then things just continued to, um, yeah. And then... I had to ring my boss the next day and say, um, I'm not coming into work. I'm, because be work. I'm not coming into work because I've had my our baby. So, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was a unique experience. So, yeah, so, but amazing. Sort of, they were really surprised yeah. because it was a physiological birth. It really, about, besides the gas and air, um, but it basically just unfolded. It was this very straightforward birth. I remember getting into my jeans post-birth, just I felt great. I felt really good despite the fact that I just had a, birth, a baby and birthed the whole day, but the hormones just went, oxytocin just made me feel amazing. And, yeah, it was very magical and special. Was he a, he was a big-ish baby? Was he a good size even though he was a little bit early? And all that sort well, he of was stuff. A size, but he was a little baby, which probably yeah. accounts maybe for the, you know, because I had a very short pushing time as well. Yeah. Um, so he was five pounds ten ounces, and he was all chubby and beautiful. And oh, I just remember him coming onto my chest. And I remember the midwife at the time, I want to say this, but the midwife at the time said, You're about to birth your your baby, Cindy. Do you want to be on your knees? And bending over the bed I said no 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 just leave just leave me here um and so that I was on my back and they brought him up onto my chest I just remember looking at his little face he had all the vernix on him and he yeah smelled amazing I just remember his eyes and just feeling like I knew him and just going oh my gosh I'm a mum now like that moment is just etched in my mind it was amazing oh that's a bit gorgeous so, so he was five pound ten. You asked. He was, he was little but squishy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. pretty big for his size. They said um, they said he was a good weight for his size. Mm. And so you um, then inevitably you came back, as you said. Was did you come back to Melbourne after he was born? Like how long um, between? Yes, we. Yeah, it was about five months after that. Um, we came home to Melbourne and, yeah, it was all really, really lovely and beautiful as first babies can be. I found, um, I found I really loved being home and I loved, yeah, I did just really flourish in that postpartum time. I, um, I think Matt and I were in this little routine and, 
yeah, it was just really a really lovely, nice time. And he was out in the buggy and and then we came home at about five months, came back to Melbourne. Yeah. So you had a, a pretty positive um, postnatal period too then. You sort of, is that fair to say? Or um, was it more challenging than you imagined? Or was it just coming home was quite helpful or how, how did you feel do you think that first time I think I did enjoy my postpartum time it was all very magical when I think about now what I would put into a postpartum that is really good and supportive and um, nourishing and nurturing for a mother after she's birthed and and grown a baby over the nine months is very different to how I was after that first birth. So I do feel like I was very resourceful myself and, um, you know, I, I got the hang of breastfeeding and that was really great and, um, Max and I were then doing stuff in the world and we were out doing stuff and there were a couple of times I remember one I forget whether it was Valentine's Day or something I remember taking him out to see a friend and I was meant to get the clams because that's what my husband and I do Valentine's Day and I remember just getting everything messed up in the time and just ringing Sam up and going oh I haven't got the clams I've missed my bus and you know, I was just on and being very resourceful and doing the things that I always did prior. I was in my masculine thinking and I was I was doing it really well. But looking back now, and as I said, what I know now, it probably wasn't sustainable. I really didn't have a huge network. I had some amazing, beautiful people that were helpful, and um, but I didn't call in people to support me I just really did it all of all of myself and I loved it does that make sense to yes you? yes it does yeah. yeah yeah and I'm going to come back to that in a minute as a as a topic as well because I was going to ask you about something to do with that anyway but um so you said you had you got you, you found you were pregnant again after sort of nine months after he was born how did that <laughs> unfold was that like yeah that's I mean, that's pretty soon so you know <laughs> it is pretty soon isn't it so I also um believe that these little souls come into our lives when they get the opportunity so we were always going to have Felix in our life and yet um again we went out for my birthday and we just had an amazing night we um obviously um we had babysitters I guess and went and had this Italian food and, you know, we just had this really amazing night. And I remember we weren't um, that diligent with the contraception. And I remember waking up the next day and saying to Sam, we need to be a bit more careful of that, actually, because, you know, you never, you never know what ended up being the most ironic, um, yeah, ironic thing because, a little while later um and sam hates me telling that story because he says it makes it sound like that we never had sex indeed but it was the one where we just had too much drink didn't do the contraception but it was always a bit of a joke later that whenever we went out went out on a date night it was always like you guys be careful with the um 
with the contraception. So that was kind of how we conceived Felix. And I really feel like he, he took that opportunity. He was like, I'm going there. And he did. And yeah, I was pregnant again and really pleased to be pregnant actually, although it was again a bit of a shock because we still were still over the moon and in sort of very young baby, like hadn't, hadn't like, I remember celebrating his first birthday and we hadn't really told people, um, I think our parents knew, but friends were starting to notice that I wasn't drinking and wondering whether we were pregnant and, you know, but it was a little bit, took a little bit of time for Sam and I to process that we were going to have a second baby. Um, but that has been amazing as well. Look, having two babies 18 months apart has been a real blessing, actually. So, yeah, we are. Mm. Yeah, and so, and how did how did his birth go? Since, you know, I think you, I've heard you had a slightly different tack that yeah. time around. Yeah. yeah. So because we birthed in the UK, we had midwife-led care. I wanted continuity of care. Um, I also wanted to birth in water and found out really quickly that birthing in Australia was very, very different. So of course it's different, but we just have a completely different model. So we have the private model, we have the public. Um, and I was zoned into a hospital that at the time I wouldn't, I, they didn't have the facilities, they didn't have, the midwives weren't trained um, and I wasn't going to be able to birth in water. In fact, this hospital, um, this hospital now gives women um, the option, but my due date was a little bit like this, like they probably would be, but they weren't sure. So because I wanted to birth in water and because I wanted the midwife, we opened ourselves up to birthing at home. So um, we had employed an independent midwife and we decided we were going to have a home birth, which was a bit of a journey in itself as well, because I was shedding my dismantling of what, what birth meant, what was safe, um, what everybody did, what everybody I knew did. So there was a lot of shedding of that, but there was also something that I knew this was something I wanted to do. So when we had hypnobirthed over the UK, I remember during my hypnobirthing seeing a first-time birthing mum birth her baby. And I was like, wow. I just remember this woman's face. She was like, I did it. Like, I did it. And um I remember my hypnobirthing teacher at the time, she commented and said that that woman was the only woman in the class that was a first time home birthed uh, mother. And um, it was a very stunning birth. But I think what resonated with me was her conviction of how amazing she felt post birth. I just remember seeing that. Um, he contemplated that with Max's birth, our firstborn. Um, in fact, totally interesting, rung up the hospital and first thing they said was not, you know, you'll come here, but are you prepared to have a home birth? So completely different kind of culturally around home birth there too. And I found there was a lot of resistance with my GP back in Australia about what she perceived was safe and gave me a whole heap of 
research that actually um, when I explored a bit deeper with my independent midwife, those um, data actually included babies that were always going to pass away in the immediately post-birth and stuff. So it was kind of skewed data. Um, and so I was really pleased to have that experience actually because I guess things had been so easy in terms of my choices and my opportunities and then having the birth. So it was really good for me to experience having to look at the research, deal with my own processing of and fears, deal with the fears and the ideas that my own family had um, over, you know, home birth and birth being safe. Yeah. And yeah, found an independent midwife that we felt very comfortable with and really liked her. And I guess my decision was based purely on the fact that I needed to trust her competence that if something wasn't going right and was outside of what was normal physiological birth, and I probably wasn't using that sort of language at the time either, um, but if it fell there that she was able to make a call. And that I think in itself was a little bit of my conditioning happening there as well, a little bit of me just wanting to feel safe mm. in that yeah. space was her knowing that she would know if I needed to transfer in. Yeah. But you didn't. So, you didn't transfer in by the sounds. I didn't transfer in at all. In fact, so that birth was um, another beautiful experience. Birth of my life, Annie, was probably that birth. So, yeah, Felix um, made himself known, I think, on the Thursday night. And um, I went and got my hair done, not because I was having photography. We weren't having photography. We just wanted to keep it as simple as what it was. Um, but I had my hair done and I remember surging and just um, not telling my hairdresser as well that I was in labour, but just breathing through and I was thinking about this amazing birth I was going to have. And when my hair was getting washed, I was saying affirmations to myself and went home, got some, um, got little bits and pieces, went to bed that night and was surging throughout the night and just lulling myself back to sleep with self-hypnosis. Mm. Woke up the next day and basically my birth had, had my labour had stopped, um, which is quite frequent as well. And I was disappointed because I thought, oh, we're, we're on. And um, we weren't, but I had a shower and my surges came back again. Husband left at about 8.30. He said, look, I'm in a meeting until 10. Call me. Mm. And basically we just did our day. Um, yeah, I just, we, what did we do? I went down because I was going to the gym at the time, so I needed to go to the GP and get a um, one of those certificates so that I could, you know, um, pause my gym and, um yeah probably that was an interesting birth for me because I was birthing I'm gonna get all teary and emotional I was birthing my own child um let me explain this I was birthing my own child 18 months after 
my firstborn and I was the firstborn with a child who was who had a brother who was 18 months later so very much that experience was walking and I think you know and why it's so big in my throat even still was me walking through the process of my own birth if that makes sense my own birth so I was re-imprinting reprinting um and also at the same time I was walking my um, through the exact same thing so um so at the same time so that so we had this last play um and I remember kind of again being in labor land a bit because we I took him to the park and it was June 21 so it was the winter solstice and um I just remember him on the swing and I'm surging and I'm swinging and all of a sudden I went, oh, my God, he's only got a hat on and he hasn't got his jacket on and he looks really cold. <laughs> so we'd, we'd obviously been running around doing all the bits and pieces that I'd left his coat, but I always feel really grateful for that last swing. It was like, mm. it was like saying goodbye. Mm. Not to him, but the metaphoric goodbye. Um, <clears throat> and I guess the rite of passage of letting go, essentially, of being a mother to one and letting that go so that you can open the door to um, to baby number two. So, um, yeah, that was the moment where I think I did that. And... I started to feel like I wasn't able to concentrate on, on Max at the time. So I called Sam home and we just spent the day together. And it was really, really lovely, actually. We watched wedding crashes and I just went around the house and got the candles ready and we had the birth pool ready to go. And I remember we, Sam got Max some lunch Popped him to bed because he was still having a two-hour nap. We did, again, my most, um, the self-hypnosis that just brings me into this really deep state of feeling super calm. And I remember Sam doing anchor touch. And then basically things were, things just went and we were meant to be going out for dinner that night. And I remember at about four o'clock, um, 4.30, time is, is a vortex, isn't it, with labour? But I rang up my next door neighbours who, where we were going over for dinner, and I said, "Look, I don't think I think we're in labour. I'm not too sure, but I don't think we're going to come over for dinner." And um, I left this rambly message, and I started to feel super tired. So it was about four thirty, five o'clock, mm. and. I, Sam was getting Max's dinner and was going to get him into the bath. I was lying down on my sofa and I just felt tired. Like I felt like everything had stopped. There were no surges, but I just had this feeling of feeling so tired. So I listened again to self-hypnosis and I was in a really good place, actually. The surges must have came back and I was breathing through the surges and I was resting and I was just about to go to sleep and my water released and this time it gushed 
And I remember calling out to Sam who was in the bathroom with um, Max and Max is now in the bath and I'm like, Sam, my water has just broke and I'm fully infused in birthing hormone. Like my legs are shaking, my arms are shaking. I can't get up and I feel sick. Like I feel like I'm like going to be sick. And I remember Sam kind of um, giving me a towel and I remember him on the phone to our independent midwife and him calling out and saying, the midwife wants to know, is the colour, tell me the colour. And so I went up to my bedroom with the idea that I was going to put a pad on, I was going to change my jeans and I was going to come back. And with that, I just knelt on the floor. The next surge just brought me onto the floor and um, and I was full surging. Mm. And Sam came back and I remember him saying to the midwife something about, oh, things have increased quite thre- like threefold. I remember yeah. threefold. Yeah, yeah. So, Things have changed quite a bit and I crawled over to the bed and um, he came back and told me that they were close, that they were on Dandenong Road, they were about 10 minutes away and I was like, just get them here. So I'm leaning over my bed, I've closed my eyes and I'm starting to grip the bed again and the surges are just coming and all of a sudden, I felt the feeling when um, the baby's head starts to hit your back passage, your yeah. bottom area. Yeah. yeah, and I felt that again. And I was like, I felt this before. I felt this with Max. I remember consciously clocking that and then momentarily going, oh, my God, I'm about to have this baby and I don't know what to do. Like, I remember consciously going, I don't know what to do, like, I was momentarily confused as to what was going to happen. And then I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to have this baby. I'm about to birth the baby's head. And I remember I was sort of had my head to the side and I said, I've got to do my birth breathing now. So I remember breathing and breathing right down behind him. And I remember visualising a, a flower. In fact, it was a Sicilian rose um, that I was visualising that I'd seen in Sicily when we were pregnant. So we travelled overseas and I felt my whole body come over his, I felt his head or my whole body, my vagina come over his head. And I remember going, sighing this breath out and going, the hard hard bit's done. Mm. And with that, Sam came back in the room and I said to him, I think I'm birthing the baby. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know they're on their way. I said, no, I've just birthed our baby's head. Is he okay? No, and I think before I said that actually was the other big question was, is is Max okay? And he said, yes, Max is okay. He's watching play school um, and I've got his jammies on. And then he came behind me and I felt him behind me. And the next breath, Felix came out of my body and I felt that little slippery fish feeling of him leaving my body and Sam caught him and I was still in my labour land a little bit so I hadn't really and then Sam's like if you want I can pull him bring him down and so the midwife hadn't arrived at this point in time 
And so as we're trying to navigate the um, getting him through my legs, I think he put him down on the towels. So Sam at some point in time must have put towels down as well. So he put him down on the towel. And with that, we heard the midwife come up the steps. And he put Felix down and went to um, open the door. And I looked down and brought my baby up. And I remember the midwife saying, oh, that sounds like a healthy baby because he'd started to make his noises. And I just turned to her and said, look what we've done. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. um, look what, what we've done. And then I looked at Felix and she helped me up and pick, um, picked him up. So from that water releasing to that moment, um, was 18 minutes so Sam had clocked at the time so it happened super super quick so again I'd been in labor and then those second babies which can be just this mysterious mm. mystery babies he just was ready he came he knew what he needed to do and he came um and I remember the midwife just putting a uh, blanket or a towel over me and saying, sometimes when this happens so quick, um, you can feel a bit of shock and I'll just let's carefully get you up on the bed. And so, um, yeah, we got up on the bed and he was just amazing. He's, it, and we were just totally amazed, like couldn't believe it yeah. again. Um, had been really touched by felt really good again and just even different to the first birth experience like I really felt like that my body had done it and without a shadow of a doubt I knew that my body had capacity to birth mm. and I'd obviously birthed before but I knew my body like no one was there when I birthed his head and Sam was there when I birthed his body and my body just did what it needed to do. So it was a straightforward, normal birth. There was no complications and it just opened up and did it. Um, and I think that's Felix too. When I think about him as a baby and as a toddler and a child and him now, he, he really... Um, has this deep sense of instinct as well. So I think there was this idea that we were both working together at that point in time mm. and probably having Sam involved in a way that he wasn't involved with the first birth. That was really amazing. And just also, you know, just being wrapped up in the care of the independent midwives as well was just like... I, I truly <laughs> was on cloud nine again. It was seriously amazing. And, um, yeah, so we had, um, we rung up my parents. Oh, well, later. That's probably another side story. But it was the winter yeah. solstice. It was my dad's birthday as well. So we birthed him, which is kind of nice to think that I birthed on the same day as my paternal grandmother yeah. as well. It was something that was quite nice about that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, so, so you kind of, I feel like you've like um, touched on a few times, um, I guess. I think it's interesting because you've touched on um, kind of transitions um, for your children in a way, like you've sort of talked about um, transitioning from 
um, being a mum to one and him having like a different sort of set of circumstances after your second was born. And then you've um, alluded a bit to how your second Bubba is a fairly intuitive creature. Um, And I just think um, it's one of those sort of interesting things that, um, I mean, I can lead this into what, uh, how you experienced your last birth as well, but did you feel um, after all of these, like, I, I think the, the transition as like sort of mum 1.0 to mum 2.0, you know, these kind of real um, upgrades to who you need to be in order to be the mother to that child and to yourself um, as you're growing through these sort of phases um you know considering that you now work in birth do you feel like you've kind of um gained something from each one that's taking like you know you've sort of spoken about how you know you you now wouldn't do what you then did in lots of different capacities yeah um but does that feel purposeful to you at this point yeah absolutely it absolutely was. It is functional. And I think I had to go through the lived experience of that and I had to shed all those layers of self, get all of that out of the way so that I was able to birth myself mm. and birth myself again. So I think there is a functional process to uh, that. Um, I think that... Yeah, the other aspect of that is I think it's completely functional for my own children as well. Mm. So I believe very deeply as well that they called those birth experiences in as well. I just really needed to get myself out of the way. I think when I said before that I would do it completely different, again, I'm totally um, have a reverence for all of those experiences being completely perfect or the lessons that I've needed to know in order for me to live, continue to live this life in this human form that I've chosen to live it, to live and to have the experiences and to also be in service of the women that I am, I support. So completely functional And yet at the same time, I just wanted to make the point that when I look back on that postpartum experience and me thinking that that was the way that I showed success or that I was doing this mothering thing really well was to do it by myself. Hmm. Because when you do it by yourself, you don't need anyone else, where actually I feel now that postpartum is a time for us to really receive as much support as we can. And I love the work, Um, you know, postpartum doulas and and all the books that, that say the way we nourish ourselves in those first 40 days, I think nourish the woman for the next 40 years as well. So... I think that if we are continually relying on self without calling in the village, 
that it's not very sustainable long-term. And I don't think that, yeah, I just don't think that we're meant to do it by ourselves. Mm. Do you feel yeah. like your last bubble was like that? Did you call in the village for the last baby you had? Did that Did go I that way? <laughs> no, I think I'm a pretty slow learner, and he actually. <laughs> I think I was on that journey still. Um, yeah. It's an interesting one, actually. Um, I don't think I did as much because there was that moment with my third birth. I remember um, my a, a mum from the kinder said to me, oh, we'll get a meal train for you um, and we'll, we'll organise it. And, and I was like, no, 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 that's okay. We're fine. We're fine. And I, I kind of rejected that. Um, so I was still learning that, um, yeah, maybe, you know, the teacher do do as I say, not, not as I do, really probably applies in terms of that. Mm. Um, but I also feel like, when I think about the lessons that I've learned from birth and being a parent and it's life anyway, it's in relationship as well. Mm. To be a little bit more vulnerable and to say, look, I need help actually, um, actually services other people as well. So I think I've, I'm learning that as well. Um, I'm, I'm just still on that life learning phase so I think I did things like I guess I did we had a midwife at the last one so that's did you manage did your midwife manage to arrive pre-birth with your last bubba or the mid the midwife arrived now with the the second baby as well so yeah she arrived but after that Yeah, yeah. Um, probably that was probably my biggest, um, if I can say, um, something that I did really well was having the home birth. But yeah. independent with care gives you those six weeks postpartum that you have that continuity, being that independent midwife there. And those six months were gold, actually. Um, you know, and we did have family come over and they were super supportive as well. Like, it, it wasn't like we weren't supportive, but that six weeks, just to have that same midwife come in, come into your house, doesn't matter whether or not you're sitting there on a bit of a low uh, on your couch and you're in your jammies, doesn't really matter that it's that person that's there in your post postpartum experience. So I think that was always a tick in the right direction I think with both of the births and I think with my second birth I didn't really understand how important and how amazing it felt to have those um, six weeks um, in your home that was really a bit of a bonus Um, and I've lost what I was going to say but What was your question? I tend to go off on little diamonds. No, that's okay. Tangents are good. I was going to ask you a different question anyway, which is, um, so obviously we've talked like a lot about, I mean, I won't keep you too much longer, but um, because I feel like, you know, it's one of those topics, especially you and I could probably sit here for hours and talk about it. But um, so you've had your own birth experiences. 
what actually tipped the scale for you that made you want to work in birth? Like, how did you go from, right, well, I'm a teacher and I'm on maternity leave and one day I'll go back to teaching. How did the shift happen that you're like, actually, I'm going to be doing something different in my career? Like, what sort of shifted for you? Yeah, it was probably Felix's birth, Mm. my second birth. Um, I think that was really the thing. I think I just really kneel down and honour the birth experience, I think, Mm. after that birth. And I think I wanted, I was really interested too in the intuitive aspects of birth as well. Mm. Um, Personally, I also think I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with teaching anyway and was seriously enjoying being a mum as well and that was informing me and up-leveling me and giving me so much rich experience and I was being um, really challenged with having two children under under um, under two and so that was really it was like I remember just saying ringing up Sam one day and said I think I want to leave teaching and I think I want to go into birth. I think I want to share the birth experience with other women. And I think at the time I was, it was a little bit, there was a little bit of, oh, my God, I have experienced the magnificence of birth and I just want to share it to the world. There was absolutely an aspect of that that I wanted to do, which I feel differently about now, I feel, in terms of, there is an aspect of the work I do that is deeply honouring the process of physiological birth. I just think that's completely amazing. However, that's not for everybody. And what I've come to realise is actually, it's for me, it's not so much whether you birth physiologically or you birth um, via a cesarean birth. It is more the process of the rebirth or the birth or the, the process, the, um, the part that cracks you open, the part that you're not sure whether or not you can do it and you do. And so for me it was, it is around, you talk about the transitions, but it's like for me now it's supporting women to transition yeah. the, that rite of passage and I think the things, you know, Julie Tanner always says, um, go back to the stuff that brings the tears. And when I think about um, that, that's what brings the tears is the evolutionary potential as we birth. And it's significant on so many levels and you know part of my role is to support the woman in whatever shape and form that that's meant to be as well I've had three really beautiful births that I love and it's not about me trying to bring that for that woman it is more about me having had this experience being able to then just be there fully present for that woman in whatever shape or need that she needs me to be in 
I've kind of changed a little bit in terms of what my initial reasons for wanting to go into birth. And it actually feels a little bit more, I don't know whether respectful is the right way. Respectful that birth can be very different and perceived very differently by lots, by many women. And I also feel like we're all meant to have the experiences that we're meant to have to give us the lessons which we've touched on before. And I think when we look at birth and trauma and those kind of things as well, there is a very special place there in making sure that that experience is honoured. Yeah. Honoured and supported fully as she crosses over. Because whatever happens in the birth happens. Yeah. You know, for whatever reasons it happened, but she needs to be know that she was supported over that. So that's kind of a long way of saying it was initially my birth that yeah. brought me into the birth world, but I actually feel like that just got me experiencing physiological birth that actually my reason and calling and is actually a bit wider yeah than just yeah yeah i think that's definitely the case for um i mean i think a lot of people who go into birth work myself included who um come from a place of having a really positive experience themselves and wanting to share the love in that way sort of you know make it positive for everybody in the same way, I think you do grow through that as you actually work with women and grow to appreciate women kind of above birth in a, in a way, you know, you appreciate birth. Yes. Birth is um, the transformation, the transition that you're kind of honoring, but the women are the, the, oh, I don't know, focus, I suppose. Is that's the, yeah. Yeah open to bring the next generation through so yeah 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 so, yeah. so tell us what you're doing now anyway because you were saying as well I think we were talking the other day you're doing some new things is that right well this year I um because I've always been in birth education and I've been mm. solely as um education that this year I and started in 2020 actually but we all know 2020 no one yeah. talks about yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I started doing doula training with Rhea Dempsey. And so this year I had been learning the art of being a doula and being with women closer to birth more so than just um, sharing um, information, knowledge, skills with birthing families. Um, and so that was a really amazing experience. And so that is informing the work that I'm now doing a little bit more. So supporting women um, at birth. Um, although with COVID this year, the, the experience over that time has been, hasn't been great with the support that, that women were allowed in. So, um, so that is what I'm doing at the moment and I'm also I have a a sort of a course that I'm uh, working on and and planning on launching end of Feb maybe early March Um, but that's on unfolding the birth that you want and specifically looking at support so what's the support you need 
for the birth that you actually want and um, very much informed by um, uh, by the work of um, Rachel Reed and Sarah J Buckley in regard to the the hormonal physi physiology um, and what is our birth, but also really looking at what sort of support are you going to need if you're in a hospital. So, um, you know, looking at what sort of conversations and things you're going to need to have with your birthing partner if you really want to increase your chances of having the birth that you want in a hospital, for example, because that may have a different flavour to it than if you chose to birth in a home, for example. So sort of looking at all those kind of things, working out what a woman really wants and then and then looking at the birth um, preparation that she needs to be in order to get that. So looking at it really specifically and also looking at one of the biggest things, I guess, my learning one is that I love the idea of the birth partner really going into service for the birthing woman. Whatever the birthing woman wants, the birthing woman should get it. And there also should be that birthing support partner that knows how to rise up to that, that knows what it means to be in service, that knows what it means to not get, let their own fears and anxieties get in the way. And if they think that they might, then really looking at taking a doula in to support them. Because I think yeah. this is the other thing too, is that women are right of passaging over in birth. And I feel also that the birth partners are doing it as well. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. They need the support and it's like a double whammy. It's like if we support the birth partner and sometimes in my doula work, I feel like that is a little bit of my my gift to the to the woman is that I can also support your birth partner if he or she has a bit of a wobble. You know, we can get them back on track and support them because we don't know why that wobble may have happened. It could be temperament. It could be their own birth experience that's come up. It could be lived experience you know we don't know why so they also need to be supported and also keep their head in the focus on the woman as well so it's looking at um masculine feminine energy dynamics and how to call in the birth partner that is also going to support that woman and also look at archetypal stuff as well because um in my third birth, I had that moment in time where I called for my midwife and I just wanted her there. And I did I, for a long time, I didn't really understand it, like why I called her in, like why was that important for her to be, be there? Like was it that she was the trained person? But uh, it's through doing my, um, my doula training that, um, you know, Rhea Dempsey talks about a woman yearning for this archetypal mother or maybe yeah. the sister that's this feminine energy and we used to be you know fully infused in that in our generations ago of birth and and not so much now so so it's getting the cake and eat it too where do you get the birth partner that goes into service and also just being prepared for if you have that moment in time where actually you're calling for that feminine energy. And, and sometimes I think that can be 
you know, consciously chosen through the midwives that you choose or doulas that you bring into that space as well or anyone else. So it's kind of opening that up for women to work out and become conscious of that so they can make good decisions for themselves to increase the chances of them getting the birth they want. Yeah, wow. Well, look, I'll wrap up, Cindy, because I've kept you for an hour and a half almost, but um, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing story and everything that you're doing at the moment. Um, I think it's one of those things, um, like I've been surprised by people lately who've spoken to me who listen to the podcast um, who've really gained a lot of insight through other people's birth stories into what birth can actually be and what it means above and beyond just as a society, what we look at it at face value. So I really appreciate you breaking into it in a a really honest, in-depth kind of a way. So thanks. Thanks, Annie. I hope that, um, yeah, I similarly feel the same way. I love it that, you know, we can share stories and it's the mirror that, you know, what needs to fall on the woman listening or partner or whoever's listening at the other end, you know, what they need will fall into their ears in the most perfect way. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to share my story. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll say goodbye. Thank you again. Thanks again, Annie. Thanks again for joining me and my guest today on Talks with the Feminine. And if you have a story from your life that you would like to share, please don't be shy. It's probably a much more valuable story than you even give yourself credit for. So please, if you do want to share your story, find me on my website, which is AnnieTaylor.com, or you can send me a message via Instagram or on Facebook. And I'm looking forward to joining you again next month with another super duper inspiring woman sharing her own personal life story.